It's time for security now. Steve Gibson is here. We've got some tech news, security news, but we'll also take a look at uh, how much tinfoil you need to wear to protect yourself in light of the uh, revelations about uh, the government's spying. How much tinfoil next on Security Now? Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for Security Now is provided by the new Winamp for Android, featuring wireless sync and one-click iTunes import. Now with free daily music downloads and full-length CD listening parties. Download it for free at winamp.com slash Android. Video bandwidth for Security Now is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 413, recorded July 17th, 2013. How much tinfoil? Security Now is brought to you by Carbonite. Whether you have one computer at home or several at your small business, Carbonite backs up your files for you automatically and continually for only $59.99 a year. Try it free at Carbonite.com. No credit card required. Use the offer code SECURITYNOW and you'll get two bonus months with purchase. And by ProXPN. ProXPN is a virtual private network that allows you to use the Internet the way it should be, anonymously and without oversight. For 20% off your new account, go to ProXPN.com slash twit and use the offer code SN20. It's time for security now. Help me. The show that helps you stay safe online. There's never been more need for security now than right now. Here he is, the explainer-in-chief himself from the Gibson Research Corporation, creator of Spinrite, coiner of the tune of the term spyware, and boy, I hope your ears are burning on Twit. Steve Gibson, Ed Bot was singing your praises on Twit this week. I don't know if you really, heard it yet. yeah, but you got to go no. back and listen. So huh. I, I, you know, we both know Ed for many years, uh, editor-in-chief yeah. of uh, PC Computing, and he's yeah. just just a great guy. Yeah, and he has been looking into uh, of late some per, a pernicious practice that we've talked a little bit about, but that uh, really came up on Sunday's radio show. Hmm. Fella called up, said, "I have this. Uh, my browser's been hijacked. My homepage is hijacked. My search engine hijacked uh, by this tool, and I got it from CNETsDownload.com." I said, "Well, that can't be." And then we looked into it. And the chat room said, "Oh, yes, it can." And Download.com, like a lot of other free download services, has been uh, wrapping some of their downloads with their own software that asks you, although you may not pay much attention to the ask, is it all right if we change your homepage, change your search engine, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And if you say okay, it will. Yeah. Uh, same thing. I mean, if you don't say no. Well, that's right, because it's opt right. out, not opt in. Right. Right. So you have to uncheck those boxes, which most people uh, don't do. And and Ed said, "Yeah, I've been studying this, and it's and it's gotten to be a real problem. In fact, Oracle with Java has gotten even worse now. Uh, you know, they install the Ask toolbar, and they ask you. And I'm very curious about this checkbox on here. When you're installing it, they say it will now and forever <laughs> change your search engine." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Rafe Needleman in, on his Google Plus said, what is this change in verbiage and what are they trying to say here? Let me show you. I'll show you the uh, 
Yeah. So Ed said, well, and, well, and then here's where you come in. Ed said, and Steve Gibson warned us. He has been a voice crying in the wilderness about all of this stuff for a long time. And, um, you know, people should give him credit because this guy has been uh, talking about this forever. So here's the uh, Rafe Needleman uh, put a screenshot of this. It says install the, the two checkboxes, and of course they're checked by default. Install yep. the Ask toolbar in uh, Google Chrome, and then set and keep Ask as my default search engine, wow. which implies that it will then take steps to make sure you don't change it back or nothing else changes it back. <laughs> Can you believe that? Yeah, the problem is, Leo, there is so much money now behind these things. Exactly. You know, Mark Thompson was telling me he was he was experimenting with wrapping uh, one of some of his freeware in one of these things where, you know, it's opt out, but still, you know, it's it's been promoted. And I get email solicitations all the time yeah. from these people. And, and sometimes they start phoning and I go, look, get this through your head. I am never doing this. <laughs> Good for never. you. Never. Remove me. How from much whatever. money? I don't. What are we talking about, though? I mean, it must be a lot. Serious money. Yeah. It is serious. It's it's like shocking. Yeah. How much money? If you have something that's being popularly downloaded, because all they need is some percentage of people to get this thing in their machine, right. and then it, and then they've achieved their mission. And I was like, oh, it's just bad. And and that and you know the ask mm. toolbar, they just want it on people's browsers, and right. they will pay the people who convey it into the browser you get a piece of of the results and it is you know you have to have no commercial orientation in order to resist it to say no i'm not doing that right and uh, you know he was saying unfortunately shareware authors aren't making what they used to no and one of the things that i've noticed is i'm sure you have too leo is you know every so often i go looking around for something like i'll, I'll need to convert a whole bunch of avis to mp4s or you right. know something some random sort of thing all of the what used to be the even the reputable download sites, they are now impossible to navigate. They're like unless you are very careful, you end up going off to, on some sideline and downloading something you didn't want. Yeah. And I mean, there it's all now about upselling us and actually, you know, making money rather than offering a service of making files available. It's 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 sad. He recommended a couple of uh, tools, one called Privacy Fix. I don't know if you're aware of this one. It's kind of interesting. And one of the things Privacy Fix tells you is what you're worth to various companies. According to Privacy <laughs> Fix, seen that. I'm worth 123 uh, bucks a year to yeah, Google. That's real money. So you're right. It is real money. If, uh, if, you, if these companies can get you to use their stuff, they're making a lot of money. And, if, and even if they pass 10% along to the... Uh, Authors, I can yeah. see why they uh, they do it. Yeah, times um, times however many of your users right are involved in downloading their thing. It, I mean, it ends up being serious. It's it's significant. Ed talked oh. about uh, Abine online privacy and privacy yep. fix. Abine's been bought by a, a mass massive. Uh, I think it was a web advertising company. So, oh, but privacy fix is uh, is still kind of an independent. Uh, and uh, I have to say, it's pretty impressive, at least just to to, to install it. You know, it's a Chrome uh, plugin, and yeah. see and just see. It shows you who's how, tracking how you're and, monetized. Yeah, it's kind of like yep. Ghostry. He recommended Ghostry, which I know you've recommended before. That's uh, I already knew about. It. Anyway, he gave you serious props 
for being a voice in the wilderness for many years. And he said, that's the problem is this stuff starts innocuous, but yep. it gets worse and worse and worse. Yep. And uh, uh, we're and it's now in the getting worse stage. <laughs> yeah. If, if it's wrong, it's wrong. Wrong is wrong. And it's not about scale. It's about, you know, some things are absolute. And if it's yeah. wrong, it's wrong. Yeah. It's like third-party tracking. It's wrong. Yeah. And now we're going to start seeing it getting worse. Yeah. I have to I, – I have to, I may correct, correct myself on the Abine uh, thing. I'm not sure. I'm trying to remember what he said about it. it well, was... I did get a nice note from an Adblock Plus developer who said, Steve, we need to correct the record. So that's one of the many things we're going to talk about this week. Are we recording, by the way? Do we start? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Security Now. <laughs> yeah, we started. Oh, I just thought I'd throw in a unit of my own, but mostly just uh, no, I'm uh, glad. sincere props I'm... from uh, Edbot, who is one of the great guys in the business. And like you, wears a little tinfoil from time to time. And I guess that uh, applies to the topic of the day, how much tinfoil. <laughs> well, this was nominally scheduled to be a Q&A, but the big news that dropped the day after last week's podcast it always seems to be now time to be the day after the podcast something huge happens but that's good because it allows dust to settle it allows people to weigh in and this was important in this case because microsoft has just gone ballistic over the the guardian's most recent news which was a point by point enumeration of Microsoft's complicity, complicity, complicit, complicity. Shoot, they're complicit. I know that. Uh, <laughs> Complicitousness. I don't know. Complicitousness. See, yeah, it's a problem. It's not a good word. Uh, with, no, I'll, I should have come up with another different one. Then I got stuck. Um, with the, of course, with our good friends at the NSA. Compliance. So, <laughs> compliance. Okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, so. Uh, we have to talk about that, and then there was all kinds of other news. And I just realized as I was beginning to put this together, I mean, the PDF of my notes is more than twice as big as our normal PDFs. When it took a while to upload it to you on Google, I thought, what? how big is this? And I checked, and it's 213K. Normally, they're about 100 and, about 100K. So anyway, I, I, because there's so much to talk about, I thought, well, there's no way we're going to get to any questions. So I downloaded 327 of them, but then I thought, okay, we'll just cover those in two weeks. But... After all of the week's news, yeah. I thought, let's talk about how much tinfoil we really need. Because what we're seeing is we're seeing sort of th there's a spectrum of things people can do to protect themselves. And, you know, if you just don't care, use SkyDrive and Google Drive and let your files be there. Or, you know, Gmail with no other protection. But then there are... I really believe there is a midpoint between the absolutism of you must read the open source and compile it yourself. There, there's a midpoint. There are people who are explicitly on our side. Microsoft is not. Um, I mean, that much is clear. But there are people, and we've been talking about this, like the Hemless folks and Threema and... And, you know, anyway, so we're going to talk about sort of where I think it makes sense to be for people who care about privacy and security short of the app. I mean, like working with people who have a what I would call an open agenda 
where it's clear why they're doing what they're doing. BitTorrent Sync is another example. So, you know, there are many good things people can do that that back away from not caring at all. But, you know, yeah, they don't really meet your criteria, Leo, of being open source, but I would feel comfortable using them. So the question is, how much tinfoil do we, do we need? Excellent. And some recommendations, it sounds like, for things we can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I want to ask you, uh, well, we talked before the show, and I want to ask you about, uh, I read that Edward Snowden used a particular email service, and I wanted to ask you about that. But Actually, that's already in our, our topic know, for the week. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll hold on to that. That's coming up in a okay. second. I yep. do want to talk about backing yourself up, because, uh, you know, this is now an issue, especially with cloud backup. What is... What is the uh, NSA seeing? And, so, of course, a lot of WAGs, as you've pointed out, have said, I don't have to worry about backup. The NSA does it for us. <laughs> <laughs> but try and get it out of the NSA. Yeah. So I want to talk about Carbonite online I backup. get them to admit it. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. No, we don't have your stuff. What stuff? No. Your stuff? No. It's anonymized. I mean, if you wanted it, we could get it. But <laughs> Carbonite is, uh, it, well, Carbonite's the other way around. They know where your stuff is. But if you want a true trust no one encryption, Carbonite will support that. Now, because of the technical, uh, you know, the way TNO works, and Steve and I have talked about this, there's certain things you can't do if you turn on TNO encryption. But I just want you to know they have it. If that's something you want, you have the keys. No one else does. They can't look at your stuff. No one can except you. Uh, Carbonite is online backup, whether you're at home, uh, it, whether you're on the road, if you've got a laptop with you, whether you have one computer at home, several at your small business, if you have external drives, Carbonite will back it up for you automatically and continually. And uh, and by the way, they'll do it for one low, flat yearly rate, no matter how much data. You could try it free at Carbonite.com. No credit card required if you use the offer code security now. You get two bonus months when you buy. It's fifty for a single computer. The basic plan fifty nine ninety nine a year. That's less than five bucks a month per computer for everything. And if you take advantage of our security now offer code, that's fifty nine ninety nine for fourteen months. Is your uh, is backing up on your to do list today? I bet it's not. Have you thought about backing up? Most people don't. In fact, many small businesses don't. That's what really amazes me because. If you had a small business like ours, and uh, let's say there was a fire in the studio and everything burned down, including our, our data, our backups and everything, how would we get back in business? How long would it take? Are your accounts receivable, your client lists, your vendor lists, are they backed up? Do you, do you know who your customers are without your computer? You better talk to Carbonite. Easy to restore after a computer disaster. Plus, you can access your backed-up files on any computer. Just log on to your Carbonite account or on your smartphone or tablet with a free Carbonite app. I think that's one of the things you would lose if you use Trust No One Encryption. You couldn't use the apps. You could still log into your Carbonite account from any computer, but you couldn't use the free smartphone or tablet apps. That may not be important to you. Uh, although, if you do do it that way, you can even email a file right from your Carbonite app, and that is very handy. Unlimited backup, PC or Mac, fifty nine ninety nine a year. Start your free trial today at Carbonite.com. You don't need a credit card, just the offer code security now. And when you do purchase, and I know you will, you'll get two bonus months free. Put it on your to-do list. Not just back up today, but get Carbonite today. Carbonite.com. Use the offer code security now. Is that my accurate? I think if you use Trust No One Encryption. You can't do the web-based access. Web-based access breaks, right. Right. But you could log on to your Carbonite account, and you would have the encryption key, and then you would unencrypt, and you could use it that way. Because the key's yours. 
Right. Yeah. I, I presume, and I don't know, I should try it. They have some way of migrating the key to another computer. Of course they do. Otherwise, it wouldn't be any use. You couldn't restore. <laughs> so, of course they do. Uh, all right. Let's get so, going, Stevie G. Yeah. Um, just a real quick note following up on last Tuesday's patch Tuesday. Microsoft had some problems with their patches. Uh, there's one that there were apparently there were three different patches that had problems, but two of those three were very obscure. One, though, is causing lots of problems. So I just wanted to mention it briefly in case any of our users, our listeners, had encountered it and were puzzled. And the symptom, it, it was a patch in uh, media player uh, codec DLLs, which caused, for whatever reason, the upper half of the video image to stay black. So <laughs> That's a this problem. Is, yeah. This is M- the MS, unless everybody's down in the, in the second half of the frame, you know, waving right. to you, then you're okay. <laughs> uh, but this is MS-13-057. That's the bad one. And Microsoft has not yet acknowledged that this is a problem, but everyone understands it is. It's been spawning all kinds of complaints all over the Internet that the top half of videos are displaying in black. Um so, you know, if you if that's a problem for you, wait for them to fix it, I would say is probably best. If you can't, then you may be able to uninstall that one. That it's based on the knowledge base 2803821 which covers that. And uh, you know, so they were trying to fix a malicious video problem where someone could deliberately malform a video and install malware through your media player. Uh, they apparently did fix that, but at the cost of your media player working correctly. So, whoops. Anyway, the big news dropped the day after last week's podcast, which was uh, Glenn Greenwald at The Guardian has kept saying that there is more coming. We there, I've, We've got a lot more documents that Edward had already turned over to us that we just haven't released yet. Well, they did another drop. And... It's significant enough, and Microsoft's reaction to it is is significant enough. And it's interesting to, to, to see how this plays into the theory that we've developed on the podcast of what's going on. Uh, and so I want I wanted to cover that. I got a ton of people saying, "Oh my God!" You know, I mean, of course, all of the Linux people were saying, "Ha ha!" You know, we, we haven't been supporting Microsoft for a long time. So, anyway, so what the Guardian said was, Microsoft has collaborated closely. Oh, and by the way, they're the first people on the timeline. If you look at that that weird timeline that with that strange green arrow covered up by yellow ovals the very very far left beginning microsoft is number one so whatever it means that they were quote participating unquote in the prism program they were first so the guardian says microsoft has collaborated closely with u.s intelligence services to allow users communications to be intercepted. Now that so that's a, that that says, and in fact, what I think we're going to come away with here is, it's sounding like Microsoft knows they're being tapped. That is, it's still the, the nothing that I've seen so far 
violates the theory that this is an upstream tap. And what the but I think we're going to see is evidence of the NSA coming to Microsoft saying, "Okay, we need help with what we got because we don't know how to decrypt it." Um, so this all fits still. Um, collaborating closely with U.S. intelligence services to allow users users communications to be in- intercepted, including helping the National Security Agency to circumvent the company's own encryption, according to top-secret documents obtained by The Guardian. The files provided by Edward Snowden illustrate the scale of cooperation between Silicon Valley and, and specifically Microsoft and the intelligence agencies over the past three years. And a lot of this does revolve around specifically Outlook.com that we talk, we'll talk about here in detail in a second, and, of course, Skype. Um, they also shed new light on the workings of the top-secret PRISM program, which was disclosed by The Guardian and The Washington Post last month. The documents show that Microsoft helped the NSA to circumvent its encryption to address concerns that the agency would be unable to intercept web chats on the new Outlook.com portal. Also, the agency already had pre-encryption stage access to email on Outlook.com, including Hotmail. Well, that's exactly our hypothesis of what's been going on on all these programs. The company worked with the the Microsoft worked with the FBI this year, and that's in February, to allow the NSA easier access via Prism to its cloud storage service SkyDrive, which now has more than 250 million users worldwide. Microsoft also worked with the FBI's Data Interception Unit, there's an acronym for that somewhere, to understand they said in quotes, to quote, in quote, unquote, understand potential issues with a feature in Outlook.com that allows users to create email aliases. So that sounds like they were noticing people could have multiple identities. And so they said, oh, we help us, you know, disambiguate these multiple identities in Outlook.com through aliases. In July last year, so that would be 2012, Nine months after Microsoft bought Skype, the NSA boasted that a new capability had tripled the amount of Skype video calls being collected through Prism. Material collected through Prism is routinely shared with the FBI and CIA with one NSA document describing the program as a team sport. And they actually use that term, team sport. The latest NSA revelations further expose the tensions between Silicon Valley and the Obama administration. All the major tech firms are lobbying the government to allow them to disclose more fully the extent and nature of their cooperation with the NSA to meet their customers' privacy concerns. And boy, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a second because Microsoft had just gone ballistic over this. Privately, tech executives are at pains to distance themselves from claims of collaboration and teamwork given by the NSA documents and insist the process is driven by legal compulsion. 
In a statement, Microsoft said, quote, oh, and this is this we're going to get this in two different places. I love this. It says when we upgrade or update products, we aren't absolved from the need to comply with existing or future lawful demands, <laughs> which is which is, you know, legal speak for we had to put in back doors. They said, when we upgrade or update products, we aren't absolved from the need to right. comply right. with existing or future lawful demands. Well, it's like, okay. That's, but that's a given. I mean, let's face it. They work in the United States. You have to obey the laws of the United States. That's just the well, way it is. Right. But, but they're, so they're saying. I mean, asking this, them to mean, break the law is asking too much. No, this is new, Leo. This is saying we are modifying our products to be able to comply with requests rather than saying we're unable uh, to comply. Can you so, say you are unable to comply? Yes. You could say, I'm sorry, we don't, we, we will happy to give you this bunch of pseudo random noise. This is all we have. Yeah. So at, at this point, there is no law that says, that encryption is outlawed or right. encryption must be defeatable. It, the, the, there was talk about is, that, but they, they never yes. passed that. Yes. And, I mean, that's the other shoe. I mean, that's why I aborted CryptoLink was it's like this is coming. It's clearly coming. And so I was unwilling to invest a huge amount of effort to create a commercial product well, that I would then have to put a back door into. So put yourself in Microsoft's shoes. They, they might have decided preemptively, well, we might as well just do it because we're going to have to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're, I mean, uh, <laughs> they're a business and they probably wanted to avoid this issue. So they said, well, what the hell? It's for a good cause. It's to prevent terrorism. We'll do it. So I have here. I wish they were discussion. more forthright about it. Yes. And, well, and they they're saying I mean, they're, they're kind of really, saying it. They're really upset. I mean, they really we'll get to that in a second, because I've got a quote from Brad Smith, who's their their executive VP and, and head of legal, who is like, I mean, they're livid over the fact Damn. that their hands are th that their hands are tears. I know. Well, you know, but but consider the that this is I mean, this is clearly costing them from a from a business standpoint. We're, we're, you know, well, my, Microsoft users are not in the, just in the European Union. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is really this is a, this is really a disaster. Yeah. I mean, I'm what what we're going to see, um, and I'm getting ahead of myself a bit here. Is that it seems very clear that the NSA came to them and said, "Let's work together, and don't worry, it's all going to be secret." And it's not. Well, now. but they may have also come to them and said, "We're going to work with you, and don't worry, it's going to be secret." I mean. They may have said, do you want this Skype thing to go through? How do you feel about it? We don't – I think the government has far-reaching powers that may not be fully acknowledged. And I don't think they'd be hesitating to strong-arm them and say, look, you're not going to get approval on this Skype acquisition unless you cooperate. Oh, oh you mean the acquisition? Yeah. Wow. That's about when this happened. Yeah, actually, well, the the work on reengineering did predate the actual purchase. But you're right; these things don't happen overnight. I mean, surely there was six months of discussion going right. on. Well, and Skype was not a a United States company until acquisition. Correct it was, I believe, it was in Holland. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying, we don't know how much pressure Microsoft was under to comply. 
So the Guardian says the files that they have show that the NSA became concerned about the interception of encrypted chats on Microsoft's Outlook.com portal from the moment the company began testing the service last summer, a July of last year. Within five months, the documents explain, Microsoft and the FBI had come up with a solution that allowed the NSA to circumvent encryption on Outlook.com chats. So, again, th this is saying that the, that the NSA is intercepting and tapping outside of Microsoft, but they're concerned that chats are going to be encrypted. And so they work out a way to solve that problem. Actually, now, Skype was owned by eBay, wasn't it, before it was sold? So it wasn't. And, I, and, and wasn't it originally Israeli? No, no, no it was. Um, it was uh, the guys. It was the, the guys who did, of all things, Kazaa. Yeah, that's it was right. peer to peer, that's and uh, yes, they were yes, from yes. Luxembourg or somewhere. I can't. Okay. Anyway, non-U.S., but uh, it was eBay owned before, when Microsoft bought them. You know, I could totally see the Justice Department concerned about Skype being used and them not being able to tap it, and going to eBay and saying, "Look." You want to get rid of this, don't you? <laughs> we can help. <laughs> We're going to go to Microsoft. Let's oh, work something out. Oh, Why not? Gosh. I mean, you have to understand, yeah. these the guys who are doing this are not doing this out of evil intention. They're doing it to stop terrorism. Correct. And, and, they, and they feel, perhaps even legitimately, well, that this is I'm something sure. they need to do. I'll bet you that they are tapping communications of known bad people who are using Skype and they're exactly. frustrated they're frustrated to death. Well they've talked they, about this a lot. Yeah. This is this is their inability to tap these new electronic communications are very concerning to all law enforcement. The going dark problem. But I think the they, big issue is federal law enforcement charged with t fighting terrorism and it's hard if a guy <laughs> who says, you know, from the FBI comes in and said the director of the FBI comes in and says you got to help us fight terrorism, it's hard to say no. I, uh, yes, I completely agree with you. Do you that. want to be the company that then, uh, you know, the director of the FBI says, oh, by the way, we got no cooperation from these U.S. companies. And as a result, you know, this terrorist act was planned using Skype. You don't want that. No. So I don't, I, I wouldn't cast aspersions or blame on Microsoft. I think it's important we understand what they're doing. Yes. Um, uh, they said uh, also another newsletter entry stated that NSA already had pre-encryption access to Outlook Mail, quote, for prism collection against Hotmail, live and Outlook.com emails will be unaffected because prism collects this data prior to encryption. So, you know, there we are. That's upstream outside of you know, basically, this is the problem we t we've discussed now several times about email, that the, the underlying protocol, SMTP, by which it moves across the Internet from server to server, is almost never encrypted. Not, not absolutely never. It can be, but that requires an agreement at each end. And, for example, of the remember, of the four major email providers, only Google offers SMTP encryption, specifically Outlook and Hotmail don't, and and Yahoo doesn't. And I, there was a fourth one too. I can't remember. But um, so 
only Google does, meaning that that there isn't going to be encryption coming on SMTP going in or out of Outlook.com and AE or IE Hotmail because it's it's not available at the server, which means they've got access to it. And then it says Microsoft's cooperation was not limited to Outlook. An entry dated 8th of April this year, 2013, describes how the company worked, quote, for many months, unquote, with the FBI, which acts as the liaison between the intelligence agencies and Silicon Valley on PRISM to allow PRISM access without separate authorization to its cloud storage service SkyDrive. Now, that's also new. I mean, if true, um, the document describes how this access, quote, means that analysts will no longer have to make a special request for this, a process step that many analysts may not have known about. So the NSA explained that, quote, this new capability will result in a much more complete and timely collection response. It continued, this success is the result of the FBI working for many months with Microsoft to get this tasking and collection solution established. Now, I, I can't read, but we can't, we can't technically parse that to understand what it means. You know, unfortunately, the documents are NSA sort of capabilities overview summaries, so they don't explain how this happens. But... I mean, what we what we have in, in in quoted terminology says that, you know, the FBI is the is the interface arm of PRISM and they were working to establish access to SkyDrive of, you know, of some sort, despite the fact that Microsoft furiously denies exactly that. Um, and then, the, and then it says uh, a separate anti, uh, entry identified another key area of collaboration. "Quote: The FBI Data Intercept Technology Unit—that's the acronym I was mentioning—DITU team is working with Microsoft to understand an additional feature in Outlook.com, which allows users to create email aliases, which may affect our tasking process." So that was where they were talking about, you know, working on arranging to disambiguate aliased identities in Microsoft. Um, and then I have some stuff here about Skype, but we've already covered that. So Microsoft immediately, the same day these documents came out, briefly responded. And so, so the first response was... In response to an article, this is Microsoft speaking, in response to an article in The Guardian on July 11th, and this response is dated July, July 11th, Microsoft issued the following statement. And this is, I'm reading from a, the press release on Microsoft.com, quote, we have clear principles which guide the response across our entire company to government demands for customer information for both law enforcement and national security issues. First, we take our commitments to our customers and to compliance with applicable law very seriously. So we provide customer data only in response to legal processes. Second, our compliance team examines all demands very closely and we reject them 
if we believe they aren't valid. Third, we only ever comply with orders about, so far this pretty much says nothing, comply with orders about specific accounts or identifiers, and we would not respond to the kind of blanket orders discussed in the press over the past few weeks. As the volumes documented in our most recent disclosure clearly illustrate, to be clear, Microsoft does not provide any government with blanket or direct access to SkyDrive, Outlook.com, Skype, or any Microsoft product. Finally, when we up, on here, here's this line, when we upgrade or update products, legal obligations may, in some circumstances, require that we maintain the ability to provide information in response to a law enforcement or national security request. I wonder if that includes upgrading SSL keys. Anyway. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. Well, it certainly, well, here's a point. It lets them off the hook. Yeah. Right? So if they wanted to, yeah. they could. Yeah. There are aspects of this debate that we wish we were able to discuss more freely. But they can't. That's why we've argued for additional transparency that would help everyone understand and debate these important issues. Mm. Okay, and then, finally, yesterday came, this is from Brad Smith, General Counsel and Executive Vice President, Legal and Corporate Affairs, Microsoft. He says, today we have asked, so this is dated, this is yesterday, July 16th. Today we have asked the Attorney General, and I guess that's Eric Holder, of the United States to personally take action to permit Microsoft and other companies to share publicly more complete information about how we handle national security requests for customer information. We believe the U.S. Constitution guarantees our freedom to share more information with the public, yet the government is stopping us. For example... Government lawyers have yet to respond to a petition we filed in court on June 19th, so nearly four weeks before, seeking permission to publish the volume of national security requests, just how many we have received. We hope the Attorney General can step in to change this situation. Same thing that Facebook and Google are trying to get them to do. Yes, until that happens... We want to share as much information as we currently can. There are significant inaccuracies in the interpretations of leaked government documents reported in the media last week, referring to the Guardian drop of news. We have asked the government again for permission to discuss the issues raised by these new documents. Okay, that does have to be frustrating. Oh, my goodness. Because the documents are out there and they can't legally respond. Right. Yeah. And and this is and and our request was denied yeah. by government lawyers. In the meantime, we have summarized below the information that we are in a we are in a position to share in response to the allegations in the reporting. So he says outlook.com parents formerly hotmail. We do not provide any government with direct access to emails or instant messages. Full stop. 
he wrote, is in a separate sentence. We, so he says, we do not provide any government with direct access to emails or instant messages, full stop. Now, we can parse that. You know, what does direct access mean? Because if, if, if any of what, the, of what the Guardian said was accurate, and if there is filtering and capture technology standing outside of Microsoft, and it really looks like there is, then it could be that encrypted traffic is captured and then letters are sent compelling Microsoft to provide the ability to decrypt it. And so, again, so if we parse this that way, then that's, it's, it's not blanket, it's not everything, and, and there's no direct access to Microsoft's back end, yet the, the same is achieved, essentially, you know, but not on a wholesale basis, but rather on a NSA is grabbing it, can't decrypt it until they ask until till they send Microsoft a letter saying we want to decrypt this which we grabbed going off in this direction to somebody who we believe is a foreign person and is a you know an entity of interest then Microsoft continues like all providers of communication services we are sometimes obligated to comply with lawful demands from governments to turn over content for specific accounts pursuant to a search warrant or a court order. This is true in the United States and other countries where we store data. When we receive such a demand, we review it and, if obligated to, we comply. We do not provide any government with the technical capability to access user content directly or by itself. And now we, and we know they don't have to. They, it doesn't have to be provided because all the NSA has to do is tap it upstream. Instead, governments must continue to rely on legal process to seek from us specified information about identified accounts. And he goes on. I'm going to skip the rest of it. But so, you know, this is the position they're in. And, and so you can... That does sound like they're, they're, some of this is very carefully worded to be technically accurate, but also misleading, and that they really do want to talk more, and the government is saying, no, you cannot. So, so I mean, I, re- I really do feel like, like, this is is really damaging the companies that are alleged to be complying to the degree that we were told they were four weeks ago that they want to clarify it and you know this pro- this podcast probably is clarifying it but of course it's not official it's just conjecture based on the technologies that we understand and here's Microsoft's counsel saying we're you know we're directly asking the government Please let us respond to these damaging news reports. They are truly damaging us. And the government says, no, you can't. 
And you'll remember so Leo, hard but, not, to know, not to know who to believe because, of course, uh, yeah, the slides imply very directly and clearly that there is, in fact, full government access to directly to the servers. Uh, they say of these that. Companies. Yeah, they yeah. say that. Um, yeah. And it's probably the case that if that were true, uh, those companies couldn't say it was true. On the other hand, their blanket denials imply – I don't think there's anything requiring them to blanket deny it. But Correct. who knows? And, and remember last time – last week I took the position that, you know, I mean, the technology required to allow a third party's systems to go in and interpret encrypted databases right. is significant. So – Somebody uh, in the chat room brought up the um, the uh, uh, concept of a panopticon. This was a prison designed in the uh, 18th century, or uh, never built, but designed in the 18th century by uh, a guy named Jeremy Bentham. The idea of which was that every prisoner could be observed by the guards, but without the prisoner's knowledge of whether they were being observed. The point being to create this impression that you could be observed at any time, anywhere, and you never knew whether you were or weren't, and that that would ensure good behavior. And it, the philosoph- philosophical, it's the philosophical basis for the, the notion that the government wants us to know this stuff. Because what uh. they like to do is create this impression that, in fact, everything is being observed, collected. We are in a surveillance state. Yeah. They, whether we are or not, they want to create the impression. It is in their interest to create that impression. Boy, it's really upsetting people, Leo. <clears throat> it's very upsetting. Um, yeah. It's very upsetting. And it's not, you know, it's not upsetting if you assume that the government is benign and the uh, information they're gathering is for purposes of fighting terrorism. It's only my, upsetting if you if you think that perhaps it might always not be that way. My favorite quote came from someone who tweeted this, and I shared it before, but it's even still being echoed by people who are catching up with my feed on Twitter. I have nothing to hide from people I trust. Right. You know, that just says it. It's right. like, well, if you have nothing to hide, why are you encrypting? I have nothing to hide from people I trust. Right. So speaking of people we trust, um, you'll remember that in the first uh, Prism, po- Prism podcast, I really I was so upset with the testimony that James Clapper gave that we played it into the podcast where he, you know, he responded to Ron Wyden. No, no. Uh, we're not collecting any data on, on on American citizens, you know, not deliberately or not wittingly was his word. Anyway, so uh, the Guardian uh, posted something and then I found some further. I think it was in the Huntington Post. Um, now Clapper, James Clapper, the head of DNI, uh, the director of DNI, of national intelligence, the yeah DNI, director of national intelligence. He is the DNI. He said, "Quote: I gave er- erroneous. He's now calling his answer erroneous because I forgot about the Patriot Act." <laughs> and so seems an odd thing a, to forget about. Yeah, this is the headline. I gave erroneous answer because I forgot about the Patriot Act. And then the subheading of, of the Guardian story was intelligence chief tries to explain false testimonies, false Senate testimony, by saying he simply didn't think of NSA so efforts to... Co- <laughs> stupid. <laughs> yeah, we're going to believe this. So stupid. Oh. And then the story reads, the most senior U.S. intelligent official told a Senate oversight panel, this was a month 
so this is recently after the first Snowden revelations, that he, quote, simply didn't think of the, unquote, of the National Security Agency's efforts to collect the phone records of millions of Americans when he testified in March that it did not wittingly snoop on their communications. Continuing, James Clapper, the director of national intelligence, made the comments in a letter to the Senate Intelligence Committee released in full for the first time yesterday, (laughs) on Tuesday. Portions of the letter in which Clapper apologized for giving, quote, clearly erroneous, unquote, testimony at a March hearing of the committee, which was the snippet that we played, were first reported by the Washington Post on Monday. Clapper had previously said that his answer to the committee was the, quote, quote, least untruthful, unquote, one. And, of course, our boys on Comedy Central had a ball with that, that he could publicly provide. In the full letter, Clapper attempted to explain the false testimony by saying that his recollection failed him. Quote, I simply didn't think of Section 215 of the Patriot Act, he wrote to committee chairwoman Dianne Feinstein on June 21st, referring to the legal provisions cited to justify the mass collection of Americans' phone data first disclosed by The Guardian. And the thing that makes this so ridiculous is that he was notified ahead of time that this question was going to be posed. And then afterwards, after lying, clearly lying, he was his the the Wyden's office contacted him again and said, you know, uh, do you want to correct the record? And they said no. So I just wanted to wrap up that little tidbit. Meanwhile, the federal government has been disinvited to DEFCON. Um, at the end, at they the end still of this go. month, they just can't go officially. At the end of this month, <laughs> beginning of next month, yes, they they can sneak in. But um, so the uh, uh, Info Security magazine covered a story said as the annual DEFCON event prepares to launch in Las Vegas on August first. 15,000 hackers are planning to descend upon the hot desert landscape. Organizers have, however, warned federal agents, government security staffers, and law enforcement agents that their particular presence is not required. In a post titled, quote, Feds, we need some time apart, unquote, (laughs) conference founder Jeff Moss noted on the event website that a Timeout is in order in the wake of the uncovering of PRISM, the widespread computer surveillance program that has been operated by the U.S. National Security Agency since 07. And that was when Microsoft first got involved, according to the documents. And so remember that we have DEF CON and Black Hat, and those are, you know, adjoining conferences. And General Keith Alexander has not been disinvited and is, in fact, a keynote speaker at Black Hat. And Keith Alexander is famously the director of the NSA, in addition to being 
and this was probably his main focus for Black Hat, was he's the commander of the U.S. Cyber Command, U.S. Cybercom. Um, and so he is still, he's still on the agenda, and so he will be speaking. Uh, I imagine it'll be a rather boilerplate, uh, you know, presentation, slide presentation about, you know, cyber warfare and cyber contingencies and so forth uh, as befitting Black Hat. As for DEFCON, uh, I, I mean, traditionally, it's been a, yay, come on in. We're all in this thing together, you know, and and the federal government's various agencies presented their credentials without any concern. And uh, not so much this year. Okay, now. Which, by the way, is meaningless because they just go. There's plenty of contractors yeah. You yeah. think Edward Snowden uh, and Edward Snowden from Booz Allen wouldn't go? I wouldn't be able to. Of course, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So now, nice idea. This story, this story, Leo, um, is so bizarre that I thought it had to be a hoax, and I, I pursued it back to its source, and apparently, it's true. Some offices in Russia are switching to typewriters. Because they've just given up. I, you know, I know ABC or NBC or somebody repeated this. I just don't buy it. But anyway. I know, I know. But there, we have a photo of it now. Mm. We know the model number of the typewriter. I mean, yes, you can embellish the the hoax. To I trust no news coming legit. out of Russia. Come on. Yeah. So, <laughs> so what? What we're led to believe because this is just too funny, whether it's true or not. The Kremlin returns to typewriters to avoid computer leaks. Subhead, the Kremlin is returning to typewriters in an attempt to avoid damaging leaks from computer hardware. It has been claimed. So, yeah, I mean, so even the, even even the news yeah, guys are saying, yeah. okay. So it says, a source at Russia's Federal Guard Service, there the FSO, go. which is in charge of safeguarding Kremlin communications and protecting... President Vladimir Putin, Putin claimed that the return to typewriters has been prompted by the publication of secret documents by WikiLeaks, the whistleblowing website, as well as Edward Snowden, the fugitive U.S. intelligence contractor. The FSO is looking to spend 486,000 rubles, which actually doesn't buy you very much, around $15,000 on a number of electric typewriters, according to the State Procurement Agency, the notice included ribbons for German-made Triumph Adlu Twin 180, model, twin model 180 typewriters, although it was not clear if the typewriters themselves were of this kind. So maybe they should just switch to Linux. Yeah, rather than, I don't uh, think typewriters are more secure. Not. Not at all. <laughs> no, no. In fact, we know that that not only well, and there was some actually. I, I the story goes on to talk about how it, the, the there's an advantage, which actually sounds a little more makes it does sound this makes it even up. sound a little more yeah. ridiculous that you can always identify the source, the particular typewriter that typed the document. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we we know you can also identify the particular printer that printed the right. document because right. of the little yellow dots that are scattered around in a given pattern. So it's just you know. Uh, I wanted to correct the record. Yeah, thanks pi to pilot Sumting Wong was flying the AZ. Oh Air. my God! Did you see that, Leo? <laughs> Unbelievable! Oh, goodness. I know. Un <laughs> it's it's and it's along with along with way too low. Yeah, it's who is it's, the it's it's like, it's Anchorman 
in real world. The the moron newscaster just read what she saw on the prompter. And being sued for it now. Apparently. Rightly so, because that's yeah. absurd. It, it's to- Although, totally. apparently, an in- summer intern at the uh, NTSB did, in fact, confirm it. <laughs> We're talking about uh, Channel 2, local uh, news oh. uh, operation, which is normally a pretty good news operation, uh, although all local television news is, is ghastly. But um, that uh, their new news, the, and I even know this anchor, uh, the anchor read... Uh, clearly prank names for the four pilots of the plane that crashed in San Francisco. You know, right. something Wong, we oh. too low. They were offensive. <laughs> and the, 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 if she was not a complete idiot, she would have noticed the minute she started saying them, and, said, and if she had had any brains, would have said, no, 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 this is wrong. I'm not going to and read we're this. We're moving the, they on. Were, they were on the they screen. Were up on the screen. I thought it yep. was an onion thing until I saw that it was true. I know. I, I didn't believe it. A buddy of mine sent me the link. I said, Ron no. Burgundy lives. Unbelievable. <laughs> anyway, I believe that story as much as I believe typewriters in Russia. Yeah, good. I don't, yeah. you know, the, the mainstream news is so god-awful nowadays. I don't trust them. Just use your brain. It doesn't make any sense. Go ahead. No, no. Hmm. Okay, here's what does. Yes. Um, I, got I listen tweet. to Steve. I trust Steve. I got a tweet from one of the developers of Adblock Plus who wanted to explain. Um, he sent me a link to a an image, which, Leo, you can bring up. Okay. Um, and Because um, last week we, we reported on a story in TechCrunch. Uh, TechCrunch was saying Google and others reportedly pay Adblock Plus to show you ads anyway. And that's where I had said, you know, that annoys me. And right in the options there, you can turn that off. So here's the story. Five facts about acceptable, what they call acceptable ads, which is a term of art for them. They said, before we get into the five points, online ads are annoying. That's why millions of people love Adblock Plus. However, ads play an important role in keeping content and services free on the Internet. And there's no denying that. I will argue that tracking doesn't, but ads certainly do. <clears throat> Continuing with their note, however, um, sorry, uh, for this reason, Adblock Plus started an initiative in 2011 called Acceptable Ads, which aims to create a middle ground for websites and users while keeping control firmly in the user's hands to determine how they want to experience the web. That's all we want. Here are five key facts about it. First, acceptable ads is only about unobtrusive advertising, usually small text links, the kind preferred by most users. Banners, video ads, pop-ups, etc. will never all caps, their emphasis, be allowed. There's no way to buy a whitelisting, which goes against what the headline was, what the way TechCrunch reported this. There is no way to buy a whitelisting. If ads do not meet our criteria, they can never be whitelisted. Our open community of over 27,000 members has the final say in whether ads comply with the rules and the rules are completely unambiguous. Third, whitelisting is free for small websites, 
only larger corporations pay. Well, I'm confused. So the, you can't buy a whitelisting, but corporations can? Um, Doesn't that contradict number two? There's no way to buy a whitelisting. Only corporations pay. These are contradictory items. Whitelisting is free for small websites. Only okay. larger corporations pay. There's no way to buy a whitelisting, says item two. Number three, only corporations pay. So somebody could figure that out. What they're saying is you can't buy a whitelisting if ads do not meet our criteria. Correct. There's no way to purchase around the criteria. However, yes. there is a way to buy a whitelisting. Pay us and have the ads meet our criteria. No. Um, if you want to be, if you're a large corporation, we will ask you to fund our effort. And, and if your ads meet the criteria, then we will add you. So, so large corporations have to pay to have acceptable ads accepted. Small right. companies don't. Yeah, so that so that does fit. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> hey, I love AdBlock Plus. Okay. Fourth, about eighty percent of all AdBlock Plus users like acceptable ads, and mine's turned on again. By the so way, you can't pay. I have no problem with this, unless you're a big corporation, you can't pay. And by the way, everybody likes it anyway. Eighty percent. Eighty percent. And there's a checkbox. They view it as a fair balance, but the, the users, 80%, as a fair balance between their interests and the interests of website owners and publishers. And finally, and for those who want to block ads of all kinds, every AdBlock Plus user has a choice at any time to switch off acceptable ads with just one click in the options menu. So, And that anyway, is true. You can, you can click that box and you will never see any ads. Yes, and I've never turned mine off before. I have AdBlock Plus on all of my browsers and I have nothing nothing is ever jumping around and annoying me and I have ads on my pages they just they they're just not you know crazy sometimes I use someone's browser without it and it's like oh my lord is this what people view no wonder they're crazy anyway so yes are we done yeah. <laughs> moving on I think it's fine uh lavabit.com so what I got was so a number of people, and I don't. I never found the story or where it was claimed that Snowden was I, using. I know. I never saw it either. I just read Lava Bit. It was all secondhand, yeah. right? Yeah. So I saw. I saw, and I thought, huh, what's Lava Bit? That's interesting. So I did a dive into it to figure out what the story is. Now, um, I, oh, and so I was. So what was tweeted was that Edward Snowden was using Lava Bit as if. That was some wonderful, you know, super secure solution for email. So, of course, I went there to find out what the story is. And it's not because it, it actually can't be. And what I thought I remembered, and then I did go back and track that down, was that Greenwald was actually given, like, was given his initial communications months before this happened. Snowden was trying to get him to use encryption of sufficient strength. And it was just because Greenwald wasn't a techie that they were unable to do that. So anyway, so, okay, so here's LavaBit. LavaBit, what LavaBit offers is 
very well-designed encryption at rest, which is to say that your email on their servers, they're an email service company. So they offer ad embellished email for free, or you can pay a nominal sum, like $8 a year. It's very inexpensive. And get an account with LavaBit. And they they will encrypt your email on their servers. Now, they overstate, in my opinion, the value of that because they're saying they cannot comply with letters to compel them to turn over your email, which I believe. But they are able to decrypt it um, when it comes in and when it goes out because the email itself is not encrypted. Now, they do offer SSL connections between your client, if it supports your email client, if it supports um, SSL and their server. So you would have an encrypted connection to them and when you when you log in with your username and password that that information they receive you know they themselves receive then they hash it salt it and use that as the key for decrypting i'm sorry as the key yes for decrypting the private key which is then used to decrypt your stored email in order to send it in the clear back to you over SSL. But at that time, they have it in, you know, it's it's available to them when it's sent to you for you to receive it. Incoming email, and this is the clever part, incoming email to you, comes in, of course, unencrypted because email is, by default, a non-encrypted protocol. They use your public key, which they keep in the clear, to encrypt incoming email to store it so that only you are able to pick it up and decrypt it. So I give them credit for doing something, um, you know, for storing it in an encrypted format, which only which they then need you to log on to your account in order to decrypt the key that gives them access to it so they can decrypt it and send it to you. So it's like, eh, yeah, it's, it's better than nothing. Um, and it, it's So it's encrypted at rest and decrypted when, it, when you pick it up. And if you're sending email out through them, then it would never be encrypted. Because they would have to, if it was, you know, you you use SMTP to send the mail to them outgoing somewhere else. And so they would not encrypt it and they would not be encrypted when they send it. So it would be incoming email to you encrypted while it's stored waiting for you to pick it up. That's what they offer. Uh, And maybe Snowden used that. I mean, it sounds like he would, except... We also know, and I have since verified, he uses Leo's favorite email encryption, which is PGP. Yeah. 
the Huff, and I found an article in the Huffington Post where uh, to to fill in the facts that Edward Snowden's fir- Edward Snowden first approached the Guardian's Glenn Greenwald in February, so many months before this was finally divulged. By the journalist's own accounts, said he had inform oh in February and by the journalist's account said he had information that is Edward did that would be of great interest unquote. But there was a problem. Snowden only wanted to communicate securely using PGP encryption, for which Greenwald didn't have the proper software installed at the time. In an interview with the Huffington Post, Greenwald acknowledged that he's no expert in using such technology and said that Snowden even provided a step-by-step email and video to help secure their communication. At that point, however, Greenwald didn't know what his would-be source had or might not have and continued to prioritize other stories ahead of Snowden's. So, so of course, the, the benefit of PGP, I mean, that's you need to use end-to-end encryption. It's better than nothing to have it stored encrypted, but it's going to be decrypted when it's sent to you. And, of course, what PGP does is it provides local, you know, pre-internet PI, as we've used the acronym, P-I-E, pre-internet encryption, so that it's encrypted in your computer as it leaves your browser. Then it doesn't matter who's, who has it along the way or who stores it in the clear. It's just noise. It is pseudo-random noise. Then it, only when it goes to the recipient who has access to your, to your public key are they then able to decrypt it. So you know, using in, st- in standard PGP style. We should do a, uh, a how-to on uh, using... Yeah, we ought to. Or, new, or maybe good, on good new, one of... Yeah, maybe the other sh- one of the other shows or something. I could do a special. Um, yeah. I, I recommend GNU Privacy Guard, which is the uh, is an open source, open PGP. GP, GPG. GPG. Reverse the letter. Yeah. GP, yeah. yeah, it's uh, at gnupg.org. And it's very easy to install. Uh, there's Mac and Windows installers. It's not hard. The only uh, negative, as we talked about last week, is that it's you know it's not signed by any third party. It's not certificate assured, um, right. so you get other people to sign your key and you sign their key, and, and, and it's person to person. Yeah. And so, if I wanted to send email to you, I would use your public key right. to encrypt the email, so that only you, with a matching private key, would be able to decrypt it. Exactly. And and then we've got you know point to point encryption, and I mean bulletproof. As, I mean, absolutely. You need to you need to get the key exchange made in a secure fashion. So, well, know. there are key servers, and that's one of the nice things about um, uh, GNU Privacy Guard and PGP in general is MIT run, and others run key servers that you can go to, and if you know somebody's uh, you know key thumbnail or whatever, uh, you can download their key. Yeah, but you can also again, put it on your website if you want. I mean, you know. Right. Well, I think it'd be better probably just to put it on the on the MIT server. Yep. Oh. Um, so a little bit of news about Google Authenticator, and I don't know if they're going to fix this. Um, I don't know if Google or how much they care that iOS seven, the current beta, breaks Google Authenticator. There's been a, a lot of information and thread about this, and Google Authenticator has not been updated for since since 2011 for two years, uh, which leads some people to believe that maybe it's abandonware. 
um, I hope Google fixes it. Or maybe that iOS 7, when it's finally done, won't break it. It's What happens is it just loses your settings and your sites. And apparently, even if you put them back in, it then no, doesn't retain them. So it's a problem. Uh, and in the discussion thread about this over on uh, code.google.com about Google Authenticator, um, two alternative authenticators have been suggested, which are compatible. They They still use... The, the one-time password, the, you know, the open technology. And it's one that one of them referred to there is one I have talked to our listeners about already, which is really pretty, and that's HDE OTP uh, available on iTunes. Um, and then one that also looks nice that I hadn't seen before is called Authy, A-U-T-H-Y. And that's at www.authy.com. So if you... If you're using Google Authenticator and you on iOS platform and you upgrade to iOS 7 when it happens and there isn't a fix for it before then, um, it, it may be necessary to look for an alternative. And these two work just fine under iOS 7. So I don't know what's wrong with... Oh, they'll fix that. That's you know, I would think remember, so. Remember, iOS 7 is... is beta. Nobody's supposed to be using iOS 7. It's beta right. for developers only. Right. That'll be fixed. Also, BitTorrent Sync. We have. Um, I'm still waiting for the the formal documentation from them of their protocol. Uh, but we'll talk about them. We'll come back in, in in the toward the end of the show talking about things that I think that that seem to me to be their you know their I would call them you know open intent. Um, yesterday they just went to version one point one point four two. Android support has been added. Ars Technica just reported hours ago that it had moved from alpha to beta. I was contacted by them last week saying by their communications guy saying uh, his name's Christian that hey Steve we're we'll, we will be at beta out of alpha at beta on Tuesday. Uh, looks like that was a you know a day later than he expected back then, but it apparently it has happened. So it's moving forward uh, Android platform now. Um, and then I tweeted a link in case anyone is interested in following up on this or people who don't follow me on Twitter wouldn't know um, that um, someone who's in charge of their communication or their their uh, his name is Dan Brown, BitTorrent's digital creative manager. He, uh, uh, I guess it was ours, ours Technica was where I found out about this. Then I went to his blog post. And he said, I've been using BitTorrent Sync for syncing several gigabytes of raw photos and, you know, RAW photos, meaning big, and video across my various machines, wrote uh, Dan Brown. There is the occasional scenario, however, where I've wanted to grab a few files, but my other machine is turned off. To solve this problem, I'm a Raspberry, I'm using a Raspberry Pi as a low-power always on device with sync installed. So BitTorrent sync installed in his Raspberry Pi. Just for kicks, I'm also using OwnCloud, which is an open source cloud, to provide me with a web interface for accessing my files from any computer, including my mobile phone. And so what I have is, in, in I just tweeted this, so you could, you know, go to... Uh, twitter.com slash sggrc 
and you'll find it because he's blogged the step-by-step process. And the blog is how I created my own personal cloud using BitTorrent Sync, own cloud, and Raspberry Pi. So, so I know that we, there's a huge interest in Raspberry Pi because it was such an incredibly inexpensive and cool little platform. And if you've ended up not doing something with it, here's a way to use, you know, basically to create a, a truly trust no one um, point-to-point cloud uh, and give your Raspberry Pi something to do, which I, I think is cool. And I, I, I responded to Christian when, with this news saying, Christian, thank you for the update. I will share it with our listeners, but I still want the public protocol, the protocol to be released publicly. So uh, still wait. And he said, yep, you know, as soon as they can do it, they will. And then totally off the path, uh, except that this, I actually saw this happening, was Network Solutions was down off the air under a DDoS attack for about an hour this morning. Um, which caused a lot of pain for people who's, who is, are hosted by Network Solutions. And in Network Solutions' own Facebook posting, then they needed to put something somewhere. They could tell people what was going on. They said, Network Solutions is experiencing a distributed denial-of-service attack that is impacting our customers as well as the Network Solutions site. And that's the case. I was unable to get, get to their site. Our technology team is working to mitigate the situation. Please check back for updates. So um, there were many people who, as I said, are hosted. They've decided just to have their websites hosted by Network Solutions, and all of those sites were were blown off the wow. net uh, during this. Yeah, That's I nasty. had not seen that before. Yeah, um, we spoke last week of Hemless, uh, which Hemless is the word that means uh, secure in Swedish. Um, they were rapidly achieving uh, full funding. Uh, it took them less than two days to cross the 150% point at which they closed down. They went 50% over and they closed down uh, their offering for uh, early funding. And these are the simple, beautiful, secure, instant messaging people. Um, one of them is the uh, was the co-founder of the Pirate Bay uh, and a nice little video online. And I gave him 50 bucks last week before the podcast, uh, and a lot of people uh, were interested in what they had to offer. So they they very quickly generated more than $150,000, and they're going to move forward and, and create the product, which is cool. Uh, update on Smoosh Box, which, Leo, you and I talked about. Yeah, hey, where's this our is, Smoosh Box? Where's our Smoosh Box? I want box? my Smoosh uh, Box. On its way, apparently, well, not actually shipping, but moving forward, they received their cases. And I got an email from them with a photo of, of all of the cases, the exterior extruded aluminum cases, uh, sitting there on a big table. So uh, they're moving forward. There's been a, an ongoing interest that really pleases them because they intend to commercialize this after they fulfill all of their Kickstarter, uh, uh, you know, early purchaser requests. And so they're pleased that it looks like they've got a, a product coming. And also, remember that we t- spoke quite a while ago about a movie that a, a local movie producer, Jonathan uh, Schieffer, wanted to put together called The Root Kit. And he had attempted to launch it over on Kickstarter. I think it was going for $50,000 and fell short of the goal in the period of time that he had allotted. And so it didn't happen. Well, he's back. 
and I, I looked at his video, uh, which he has on his relaunch. He, he actually he sent a letter which indicated he would never do another Kickstarter project because apparently it was just it was a huge time sink to babysit Kickstarter for whatever reason. It's a lot of work, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he just said, okay, never, never, never again. But he's back. He's rewritten and has actually got a screenplay that can be downloaded by anybody who's curious. What he's doing now is he's over at Indiegogo.com uh, with a project called Algorithm. And the movie will be called Algorithm. He wants to pre-sell the Blu-ray and DVD for the movie Algorithm. Uh, use that to, um, to generate $30,000, which will finance the production of the movie and the production of the DVDs uh, for all the people who want to see the movie. So he said, what's it about? A hacker for hire discovers that the government monitors everything we do. He and his friends fight back. Algorithm is a story with the message. And the message is that we are not powerless, that we can fight back, that more than money or guns or nuclear weapons, computers have leveled the playing field. If you want to know more, you can read the screenplay. And then he provides a link to it. So anyway, I wanted to give people the heads up. They can go to therootkit.com or his new link is thehackermovie.com. And that's just a redirect, actually, to over to the Indiegogo page uh, where you can watch a video uh, that Jonathan has produced uh, explaining his plans, why he has the ability to do this, and so forth. And uh, I want to see it. So I gave him 25 bucks to, to pre-purchase a copy of the Blu-ray uh, and DVD. And so any of our listeners who feel similarly are welcome to. Um, and I had another nice SSD success that I wanted to share with our listeners about Spinrite from someone named Denny Warren Jr. And he wrote to our, our tech support guy, Greg, he said, I am by no means a tech geek, but I do listen to security now as much as I can and learn something every time I listen. I did go ahead and purchase a Lenovo W530 laptop and replaced the C drive with a crucial M4 SSD as the main drive because it was too small. Oh, the, the original drive was too small for his liking. He said on July 14th, 2013, <laughs> at 9.45 a.m., I noticed that three updates were waiting for me. Oh, so that was last week's uh, second Tuesday of the month update. Three updates were waiting for me to install. So I clicked to install them. When I returned to my laptop, it said that I needed to restart it. So I did. Well, then my laptop notified me that it could not boot into Windows because the drive was inaccessible. Ooh. Even though my machine was SSD-based, I purchased Spinrite 6 and created an S a USB boot drive to see if Spinrite could fix the issues. After about 45 minutes, Spinrite had finished working its magic. I restarted my laptop, and it booted into Windows 7, and it worked normally, as it did before it had crashed. I jumped to the ceiling of my home, screaming with joy, and told my wife that we're renaming our son Steve. I won't share her response. <laughs> 
I won't share her response to me, except that she's glad for me to have my computer working again. It's working as if nothing had ever happened. I can't remember what kind of updates caused this crash. Wow, I wonder if it was a problem with the updates because no, I mean, we did, we no, did, no, no, probably no. not. It's coincidental. However, Whenever oh, you're well, doing a lot of disk writing, it is coincidence because yeah. Spinrite fixed it. You right. know, it wasn't a matter of removing the update. Right. Um, however, tell Steve I said thank you. He is the best. He is the one thing. Oh, he says it is one thing to hear others say how much they like Spinrite, but it's a whole other feeling to have your computer rescued by it. <laughs> did I mention that Steve is the best, Jay? Signed regards. UOSD was said. Kind regards. He should have so. said, uh, rename him Dynastat. <laughs> <laughs> Forget Steve. Rename him Dynastat. And his wife would really have a problem. <laughs> Honey. <laughs> hey, uh, go ahead. I, w- one thing I wanted to add was that Elaine sent me a first. She said, she, so Elaine said, Steve, you're not the only one, in, only one getting testimonials, Grin. Oh, Had to show this to you. That's nice. So, so she received, received a letter, says, Elaine, I'm a subscriber slash listener of Steve Gibson's Security Now podcast. I just want to personally thank you for the wonderful transcription detail and clarity that you provide for a niche technical and at times complex recorded broadcast. Your thorough, accurate, and complete approach preserves the culture slash humanity of the podcast while also making archival episodes easy to search on Google, etc., post-broadcast for years to come. Appreciated. Ross uh, Blatner, subscriber, Security Now. Then he said, P.S., you are more than welcome to use my commentary in a testimonial because you are certainly deserving of all such praise. <laughs> That's nice. So yay to Elaine. <laughs> Shout out for her. We say that every day. Yay we to do. Elaine. We do. Hey, before we get, I think we should talk, uh, the, the subject matter is uh, how much tinfoil. Yeah. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what you can do to protect yourself. We've talked a little yep. bit already. Man, um, well, what you should do, what's overkill, and so forth. Yeah. In other words, how much tinfoil do you need? How thick does it have to be? Yeah. Before we do that, let's talk about one form of tinfoil that I think uh, you've recommended in the past. Many of us use. Uh, in fact, if you work in business, you probably use it. It's VPN, Virtual Private Networks. Uh, you like OpenVPN, which is the open source VPN solution that's rock solid. And uh, we have an advertiser named ProXPN that offers OpenVPN. They also offer PPTP on devices like smartphones that don't support OpenVPN, although increasingly more and more do. But you get to choose. If you're worried about your ISP watching what you're doing, if you want to protect yourself against their six strikes rule, if you're getting blocked because you're in the wrong country, if, you're, if you want to bypass Internet filtering or blocked websites, you really want to know about ProXPN. ProXPN is an open VPN-based uh, virtual private network. They have servers all over the world. Dallas, Seattle, London, Singapore, L.A., New York City, and Amsterdam. That's nice because it means you can come from any of those countries. You could appear to come from them. The uh, encryption tunnel is 512 bits, plenty of strength. The key, 2048-bit. It is well implemented. Steve's vetted it and agrees, and it's a very nice deal. They do have a free solution, but for maximum speed and flexibility, you're going to want to look at the premium account, normally $9.95 a month from ProXPN. 
Uh, or you can buy a yearly plan, which is seventy four ninety five for the entire year. But we have a special offer. Use the code SN20, and you'll get 20% off whatever you buy for the lifetime of your account. So if you go for the yearly plan, the best deal, that's going to be less than 5 bucks a month for unlimited, protected VPN service from wherever you are. They even have an app you can run on Windows and Mac that lets you tune it to the application level. And, of course, if you're not satisfied, cancel within seven days. You'll get a full refund. ProXPN, this really couldn't be a better place to advertise or a better time to advertise this service. Uh, we recommend it. Steve recommends it. Steve approved Mom Used or something. I don't know. Pro, Dr. Mom Used. ProXPN.com slash twit. Sign up with the code SN20. You'll save 20% forever for the life of your account. Now, Steve Arino. Let's get so, some a little tinfoil. Yeah. Um, I was trying to think what would be the what would be the the sequence that that law enforcement would use if they wanted to access in stuff that's in, that is available to them and is encrypted. You know what uh, and, hackers say is first you get the docs, D-O-X, and that's information, date of birth, uh, address, uh, IP address, ISP. The more you well, know, yeah. right? Right. So, right. So you would, you would, you would learn, you would learn where the target's traffic was transiting. And then you would tap that, so you would you would collect traffic, and you would look at the IPs that the traffic was bound to. You would know that it was coming from the target. You would look at the IP addresses of where it was bound to, and that would tell you, oh, this is going to Google Drive or you know SkyDrive or Google Drive or. Or email, you know, they're they're using Yahoo as their email uh, account. So the idea would be you'd 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 collect the traffic at the source to determine the you know like what cloud providers they had chosen. Then you'd go to the cloud provider and say. Encrypted traffic was going to you. We need you to decrypt it for us. I mean, that that would be the sequence of events. So, so you know, it, okay. So, it's it's very clear that first of all, many people aren't worried about this at all. They go, well, okay, you know. I mean, and 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 you know, you've expressed an opinion, Leo, sort of a one of resignation. It's like, well, you know. We're we're in a surveillance state. That's going to happen. There's tapping going on, and so that's you know. So we we live with it. Um, it's clear that something is going on with these major terminuses: Microsoft, Google, Yahoo, Dropbox, Facebook, and so forth. You know, they're on the Prism timeline. We don't know in detail. We probably never will exactly i mean ex precisely technically what's happening but the damage 
that we referred to earlier that seems to me is clear to their reputation as a consequence of this is that if people felt creepy that that the NSA had chosen these major providers for PRISM, whatever that is, then why not use one that's not on the list? Which, you know, <laughs> seems like that makes some sense. You know, use, use you know, anything that isn't a major target. Because clearly the NSA, I mean, if, we, if, if they're doing, and they seem at least partially to be doing what I originally suggested that made sense, which is tapping upstream of these major guys. They chose those big guys because such a large percentage of Internet traffic has chosen them because they are Microsoft, because they are Google, because they're Yahoo or Dropbox or whomever. So, so this argues for not going with one of these big guys just to stay off the radar, stay off of, you know, so that your traffic is not participating in PRISM by default. Now, if you're a target, then the other end of your traffic, as I initially started talking about, would be intercepted. Clearly, they have the ability to do that. So so that's a different scenario than the, the rest of us who are not targets for any particular reason, but just don't like the idea of of pervasive surveillance. So so they're the big guys. But then we've also talked about and, and I you know those are like I don't want to use the word tier 1 because that that refers specifically to internet traffic transit providers, but these are, you know, top tier corporate cloud products, Microsoft, Google, Yahoo, Dropbox and so forth. The big guys and they're going to be targets. Um, this, then you have your second tier providers that are, and in our, for example, in our, in our cloud storage podcast where we went through uh, 15 of them or so, many of them have poor security models, but they don't care. They've got beautiful looking websites and people go, oh, look how pretty their website is. They must be nice people. And so... People use those as their cloud storage provider, although not offering a great deal of security. And among those, there were clear, there was clearly a few who focused on a TNO model. And so that's really where that that's where I come back to. I mean, that's where I'm, you know, it's 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 pre-internet encryption. It's PIE, one of the early acronyms, along with trust no one that we coined. Because it's always been clear that that's the only way to be secure, is this stuff is encrypted before it leaves, and it is not decrypted until it comes back. And so that immediately rules out uh, the generic use of SkyDrive and Google Drive and, you know, storage at Yahoo or Dropbox, which are not pre-internet encrypted technologies. You know, you, you, they're very convenient. They offer lots of features. But if you're able to use some foreign browser and get access to your content through a browser interface, that's not pre-internet encryption. Unless, unless the way it works is that it downloads a decryption 
technology into that browser and then does local decryption. But that's not the way these things operate. So those guys don't have end-user security as their, as their first issue. And so, so for me, they're just, they're, they're, you know, unless you then, unless you pre-wrap everything you're storing with them, with, with your own local pre-internet encryption technology, don't even consider using them. But if you do pre-wrap your data, by all means, all they're storing for you is pseudo-random noise that they have absolutely no ability to decrypt. So the NSA or whomever can go to them and say, we want this person's data. And they apply the encryption keys and it changes it from one <laughs> one set of pseudo-random noise to another one and still tells them nothing. Um, so, so I look at the cloud providers who explicitly want to protect our data. I mean, they see that's their mission. Microsoft doesn't. Google doesn't. I mean, they're not, they're not protect, they're providing no protection at all. And Dropbox doesn't. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're secure storage. Baloney. Maybe, maybe secure against hackers, not secure against somebody who can send you a warrant and say, we want to look inside. So, um, so if we're gonna if we're gonna do something, then it, it's about pre-internet encryption. And so, you know, when I look at BitTorrent Sync, you know, yes, I wish we had an open protocol. They they say they're going to do that, but it is to me their intent is obviously to create, in the case of BitTorrent Sync, a truly secure pre-internet encryption, trust no one technology that allows us to link our machines together for large, for, for large file sharing. Hemless, same thing. All about this can be simple. It can be beautiful. We're going we're gonna to create something for iOS and Android. Uh, here's our model. We're not going to make it free. We're not going to put ads in it. So we're going to ask you for a little bit of money and that's how we're going to, you know, fund the back end that we need for linking this stuff together. It'll be encrypted before it leaves. It'll be decrypted when it comes back. And we're going to solve all the details. To me, that's who we want to work with. Threema, the, other, the, the, the thing that we've talked about a couple times, currently shipping. And those are the guys that have the three dots. Either you either get one dot, two dots, or three dots based on what level of authentication you have achieved. And you only get the, the green three dots when the phones are facing each other and, and directly exchange keys. Then you have absolute authentication and your, your then encrypted communications between iOS and Android devices are always show with three green dots and absolutely impossible for a third party monitoring your traffic to gain access. And then CryptoCat, same thing. We talked last week about the, the disaster with the poor coding in JavaScript of their of their multi their multi-party chat, but their point-to-point -point chat always was and is secure and uses an open protocol, which they have a good implementation of. Um, they just gave it a nice web, uh, a web browser interface. Um, 
And so to me, you know, that's where I am is it's like, yes, these things are not open source always. Um, even LastPass. LastPass did something I thought was brilliant, which was they was they explained to me exactly how it works, so complete open protocol. Then they went further and said, we're going to demonstrate that this is the way we're encrypting. We're going to prove that what we just said was true by giving you a web page with JavaScript that does what we just said it should do, and you can see by putting your own data into this web page that it works, that you can decrypt your stuff with this web page. This is the way it was encrypted. So it was a it was a it was a proof of openness essentially that is what was like, okay, for me, this is exactly the right solution. They I mean, you know, Joe designed this thing so that it it achieved that it was using the cloud for synchronization, but it was one hundred percent trust no one and pre-internet encryption. Um, I haven't audited the source. I don't need to. I mean, so so when I talk about how much tinfoil, I guess my I'm at a at a softer place, Leo, than than the absolute ism of it's got to be open source. I think if it's open protocol, if it's open agenda, and if the, if the, if every scrutiny of the of the effort says these are good people, then it's like okay, you know, I'm comfortable enough with that. I mean, first of all, there's I, I need nothing. I don't need to encrypt nothing except my data. For example, if I were using a cloud provider and putting, actually, for example, GRC's corporate books are encrypted by Jungle Disk and stored at Amazon S3. Still using Jungle Disk, that's pre-internet encryption, it's TNO, it's local symmetric key, and there's no way I would let our, our corporate books leave our control for, for, for cloud backup unless it was pre-internet encryption. So, you know, there you absolutely want to use good encryption. But I don't, you know, my text messages are just to my friends. So I, I don't need it. Although when it be, when when point-to-point text messaging encryption becomes ubiquitous or easy to use, like Hemless is making it and Threema have made it, then it's like, why not? It's just kind of cool, just yeah. the coolness factor. You know, I just exchanged, uh, somebody who was listening, obviously, the show got my key off the key server. And uh, sent me an email using my key, which I decrypted. Cool. Uh, yep. I then got their key because they had a key when they when they did it, and uh, yep. added it to my key. In fact, it's on there uh, right now, and um, it's very easy now. Whenever I email Doug, it'll automatically be encrypted yeah, transparently I, I, without any effort on my part. I'll I'll bet you that at some point, the world. I mean, you know. I don't know, Let's a decade. We should, if yeah. everybody did this, yes, of course, the NSA grabs your stuff. Um, I made my key 4,096 bits. Yep, I would say for, that's planning that's for the future. The, yes, <laughs> yep. Um, and, you know, it's good. It's the way to do it. Um, you you know, so uh, make, you know, it's really easy using these uh, GNU Privacy Guard tools. The Mac thing is it works with Apple Mail. It's very transparent. A little harder to do if you're using a web-based mail server. 
unfortunately. You know, it's really easy on a client like uh, Mozilla, Thunderbird, uh, or uh, Apple Mail, something like that. It's very easy on well, Thunderbird. And I would imagine there will be plugins at some point if there aren't already for uh, specific. It probably is uh, for browsers. Gmail, but, it, but you know, it's it's that's harder to do, right? Yep. If you think yep. about it, so yeah, yeah, you can. And you know, by the way, you can use PGP locally and just take a block of text, encrypt it, and send it off. Yep. So that works fine with any mail server. And in fact, the the protocol, the PGP protocol, is mature enough that I'm seeing other new efforts launching that are going to be using PGP as their well-proven crypto model right. because the code is available and they're just going to package it up and use it um, for different, you know, to, to, to transport different sorts of information than, than you know, traditionally email as, as it's been used for. There was a know-how episode on this. I, I did not know the last know-how episode, number 50, ah. uh, shows you how to do this. I'm not sure exactly how uh, they did it. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but my recommendation. In fact, I remember hearing that yeah. there was going to be some discussion. Yeah, I'm about glad that. they did that. But my recommendation, uh, and I suspect, I'm sure that they this is how they did it, is uh, GNU Privacy Guard and GPG Tools. They're really great, really great, and it's open source, so you know it's not. There's no back door. Yeah. So I think you know. Bottom line, we're never going to know what's going on. We we know now that our law enforcement agencies have taken the position that they need to capture everything and build networking models of, of interactions of people. Uh, I think most of us, it's sad. It's a little creepy. Um, but uh, it's the reality of the, you know, the 20th century, 21st century, whatever century we're in. Yeah. By the way, this is the command line interface for GPG. It says, you just type GPG. It says, go ahead and type your message. You type your secret message in uh, clear text. And then if you have uh, the right uh, keys, which I haven't installed yet, uh, it'll encrypt it. And you'll ah. be given some junk that you can then paste. Nice. And uh, and you just do it to annoy the NSA. Here's another <laughs> Here's another story, by the way. This happened this morning. I don't know if you, uh, you uh, heard about this. Um, the NSA... Uh, testifying before the uh, Judiciary Committee. Um, an aide during testimony in the Capitol Hill today, uh, a National Security Agency representative admitted that the government's perhaps looking at more data than we had thought. <sighs> um, so this is Chris Inglis. He's the deputy director of the NSA, testifying before the House Judiciary Committee. He said that analysts look two or three hops from terror suspects when evaluating terror activity. Previously, uh, they had admitted to two hops. That means if, if they're following a terrorist and he calls somebody, they could then look at the person that that person, the terrorist, that the person the terrorist called, right. called. Three degrees of separation. But now it's three hops, which means terrorist calls somebody... That person calls somebody, that person calls somebody, they can start collecting data from that third person. And that's pretty much everybody. That really is, Because yes. uh, according to a study at the University of Milan, we're all 4.74 steps away from everybody else. So three hops, three degrees of separation, is a vast universe. Yeah. Very quickly means that everybody is involved. It's funny, too, because... Um, 
the the now head of the NSA, uh, Alexander, who I was talking about before, uh, what, apparently he was involved in 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 Iraq and our efforts there. And uh, when he became involved, and they were tr- they were using communications signaling intelligence in order to track down, you know, terrorists w- w- within Iraq. His solution was. Instead of looking for a needle in the haystack, let's collect the entire haystack. Keep the haystack. Yes. Yeah, and then, we'll and, know, and then when when you need to look, we'll have it. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. it was it was you know originally there. Apparently, a very successful approach over there was record everything, mm-hmm. and then we'll we'll sift through it when we know what we're looking for. Yeah. By and, the way, uh, the members now, of Congress, not being mathematically inclined, oh, uh, had no idea what he had just said. And Leo saying not math, not being mathematically <laughs> that's inclined. An understatement. <laughs> but nobody said anything. But that's the first time the NSA's admitted three hops. He said uh, two or three hops, very casually, as if hey, it could be oh, four, as if it was nothing. As it if, could be oh, five, you know, for, Really, I mean, it, it could be you know, I don't know, it's let's two or three. Explain exponentiation yeah. to you, please. Yeah, they had no clue. Wow. Uh, and I think that that's the other thing that happens. That the people at the NSA uh, think, and they're probably right, that they're smarter than Congress. And so they just mislead them. They say things like that in a way that just misleads them. Yeah. And and when you mislead Congress, for whatever you think of Congress, you're misleading us. Because they're the people who are supposed to enact this stuff. Yeah. Well, and the whole, I mean, part and parcel was oversight. Yeah, and when in oversight means telling right. the truth when they right. ask you a question, right. and that was my argument with with, with, with Clapper and his ridiculous. Right. Oh, I forgot about uh, the Patriot Act. Uh huh. Yeah, mm. hard to believe. Yeah, hard to believe. <sighs> well, Steve, uh, thank you once again. Another great episode, and I think you're right. We didn't have time for questions. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll do it in a couple of weeks. If you have questions for Steve, yep. go to grc.com slash feedback. Uh, while you're at GRC, get Spinrite, the world's best hard drive maintenance utility. Yes, it works on encrypted drives. Somebody asked in the chat room. Doesn't care what's on the drive. It's right below everything else. Yeah, actually, a lot of people have used it. When when TrueCrypt hits a problem, it'll, it'll say it'll stop and back itself out, saying, oh, I'm unable to decrypt this drive. And so it's very much sort of like the way... Microsoft used to have a problem when you were trying to convert from FAT16 to FAT32. If there were any bad clusters or sectors on the drive, you were unable to do a FAT16 to 32 conversion. And so people, we sold a lot of copies of Spinrite to people who needed to fix their drive in order to convert to FAT32. Similarly, people, when they're trying to encrypt or decrypt using TrueCrypt, they'll often hit a problem that they didn't know they had. And Spinrite will fix it, and then TrueCrypt will go ahead and, and operate. I should give a little more credit to uh, some of the members of Congress. Here's some of the uh, things that uh, members of the House said in this hearing. Minority member John Conyers of Michigan, quote, you've already violated the law, in my opinion. Jerry Nadler of New York, I believe it's totally unprecedented and goes way beyond the statute. Uh, Ted Poe of Texas, do you see a national security exemption in the Fourth Amendment? We've abused the concept of rights in the name of national security. And uh, Jim Sensenbrenner of Wisconsin, the author of the Patriot Act, who said, hey, you know what? It's up for renewal in 2015. He, uh, the provisions for phone metadata collection, he warned, have got to be changed. 
Otherwise, in a year and a half, you're not going to have it anymore. I would say that what we need to respect are their staffs. Yeah, because they're, they're, they're intelligent. The staffs are intelligent. The, oh, look the staffs at, do all Congress the work, Leo. represents us. They are our representatives. You voted for them. If you don't like them, vote them out. But they're what we got right now, and it's the only line of defense. you got to write to your member of Congress and say this will well, not stand. It's not const- We don't believe it's constitutional, and you got yeah, to return it. What I would recommend to anybody who likes to follow this stuff is to get yourself on the EFF's mailing list the Electronic Frontier Foundation. They really are leading yeah, this. Yeah. They, they've already and, filed a lawsuit uh, against the against the NSA uh, over this, and they've got smart attorneys. They know the law. Um, you know, the EFF is a great organization, and and you know they're one of the the one of the Twitter feeds that I follow in order to see what's going on. So I see what what's going on with them, but right. also so either either follow follow them on Twitter or and or subscribe to email from them, and then you'll know what's going on. And they often send you here is a link to a page that will immediately for on your behalf. You fill out your name and address and and where you are, and it will send. It will send email or letters to your to your local representatives. It figures out all of that for you uh, to help you express your opinion to your to your local uh, people in Congress and and government. So and, and don't buy the BS that oh well, uh, you know they're all in it and con- and you know Congress sucks and the governments because you know that the. If you don't go through Congress, your only other alternative is, is leave the country or Move. revolt. Move. Yeah. <laughs> and so let's try the democratic process, shall we? Uh, it'll work, but you've got to get involved. You can't say, oh, they're all losers anyway. Yeah, I think it's true that there were some early, there were some people ahead of the curve uh, at, in Congress who understood, who were on the Intelligence Committee who realized this was not, what was happening was not what America thought. They've, and, and I mean, and, and you know, I, right off the bat, I said I would not do what Edward did because my oath would prohibit me from doing that. But I'm glad he did. I mean, this this and now, of course, look at the result. The result yeah. is good. This is all good. No, I'm glad we're having a, a, the conversation. Yeah. Although it is just sure has hurt those companies that yep. were that were well enumerated. good because guess what runs this country? <laughs> Yeah. Those companies, and 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 if it's bad for business, that's the best possible way to get this thrown out. Bad yep. for personal rights, big deal. Bad for business, watch out. You know, yep. Microsoft has lobbyists. They listen to Microsoft's lobby. They'd listen to us if we pay attention, but the yep. electorate doesn't really pay attention. No. Uh, GRC.com, enough politicizing here. <laughs> Although, hey, this is one case where uh, the politics has a lot to do with what we talk about. It's tech politics, yeah. Uh, And if if people who understand technology don't get involved, well, who is? And it's nonpartisan. I mean, everybody's upset about this equally. Yeah. Um, We have 16 16 (laughs) kilobit uh, audio versions of the show, as well as Elaine Ferris's fabulous transcriptions available at grc.com. Full quality audio and video available after the fact on our website, twit.tv slash SN for security now. And, of course, you can always watch us do it live, 11 a.m. Pacific. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 1900 UTC on Wednesdays, uh, right here at twit.tv. Steve, have a great week, and I will see you next time on Security Now. Thanks, Leo. Security Now.